Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Rebel News live stream on this, a Tuesday, March the 15th. 2022. I'm David Menzies and my co-host. Well, let me tell you about my co-host, folks. You know, they say you should beware the Ides of March, but I don't beware the Ides of March when I get to talk to my friend out West because she would never betray me. She is the she-devil with a sword. <laughs> she is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? David, I'm great. Look at you shoehorning random trivia into your <laughs> Ides of March greeting with me. I totally forgot that today was the 15th of March. Um, historical significance, I suppose. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yes, for all those in the cesarean section, uh, a very important date indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, that's the best. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's snowing here. It's about one degree. It's supposed to be going up to 17 in a few uh, days. Um, yeah, I know. It just it's a it's a roller coaster. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, speaking of March and beware the Ides of March, I, you know, I've always asked I've always been asked if, if someone was coming to the greater Toronto area for the first time. What would be the best month and the worst month? And I think the best month, Sheila, it is the month of September because you get those summer hot days and it cools off in the evening. Beautiful sleeping weather, like they say. March, it's neither winter, it's not spring. It's this hybrid where the, you know, snow banks are melting and you see all the Tim Horton and McDonald cups and the dog feces. And it's just so disgusting. It's just it, that's how I feel. I, I don't know about you out in Alberta. Best and worst months. I don't know. I definitely wouldn't say September because September is a grab bag of disaster. It can be <laughs> blistering hot. And then like three days later, you're like, oh, I guess I should have covered my garden. Because we got a big dump of snow. So yes. <laughs> um, you never really know what you're going to get out here in Alberta. I guess, I guess maybe June is okay. But okay. that's also kind of uh, thunderstorm season here. So I don't know. You just got to be prepared for the weather here. I know even uh, last week I was in Calgary with um, some members of the uh, Rebel team, including some people from head office. And uh, I watched the thermometer on my Jeep slowly drop as I was making the four hour drive back to my house. I think it was like, I don't know, minus three or something when I was in Calgary. And but the, by the time I got home that evening, it was minus 21 when I got home. Unbelievable. But you know what, Sheila, because you always bust my chops about my vehicle, fess up to the audience. You don't have a real Jeep in terms of, you know, a Wrangler Rubicon. You've got like the SUV Jeep, don't you? I have a trail hawk and I also have trail a grand yeah I have a trail hawk and I have the Grand Cherokee uh yeah. the diesel the 3 liter diesel with the Mercedes Benz engine in there I have one of those two sitting in the driveway and I'm okay. waiting for my daughter to turn 16 so she can drive it so those are both Pretty real Jeeps, Mr. Egg Beater for a car. Yeah, well, 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 tell us how it goes the next time you take one of those vehicles on the uh, Jeep Jamboree, okay? So there you go. Um, Sheila, uh, enough with the weather and auto talk. I'm not talk. by you and your <laughs> electric car. 
car. I just won't. <laughs> Plug-in hybrid, actually. Uh, Sheila, <laughs> what is it that we're trying to do here other than weather and automobile talk? <laughs> you know what? I am trying to stay your friend, and it's getting tougher and tougher all the time as you continue to make fun of me um, when you clearly have no right to. Anyway, I should tell everybody what we're doing here before we get into the news of the day because it's a real stuffed pierogi of a day today. Um <laughs> It is the Rebel News daily live stream. Uh, it used to just be hosted on Friday by Ezra Levant. But then the pandemic struck. There's more news than ever. And the best way to interact with the news and each other and our viewers seems to be in live form for an hour every day. I really like it. But then Joe Biden got elected. Big tech didn't have to pretend anymore. And they censored a whole host of conservative channels, including ours. They completely demonetized us over on YouTube. We're not kicked off yet, but the clock is ticking there, I think, for sure. And one of my biggest stresses in the day is to make sure that our videos don't kill the YouTube channel. So that's another point that I should make. If you are watching us on YouTube, if you want the full uncensored version, you better find us on another platform like Rumble, Odyssey, and SuperU. Um, and that should bring me into the next thing. So while we are currently streaming on YouTube, because they kind of don't want us there, so that's how you get more of us, we're also over on Rumble, Odyssey, and SuperU. Those are three free speech platforms that don't care about your politics. And they give you the opportunity to support the work that we do completely willingly. So Rumble allows you to send a rant. If you send one of those, a paid chat, David or myself will read it on air. Likewise with an Odyssey hyper chat. That's their paid chat over there. And uh, what did I forget? Super you, a super yes. you shout. You can send one of those to us and that's their version of a paid chat. And we will read it on air. Send us a question, a comment, a story idea. And we are also in our fourth week of streaming on Getter. And I think that's going well. Um, I think it's no hitches so far. And I think the Getter people appreciate it. So if you're watching us on Getter, hello. And if you're watching us on YouTube, say goodbye to YouTube and just go on <laughs> to the other platforms because there's going to be a point at which in the show, although we've been pretty good lately, where we might have to say goodbye to YouTube and move over to one of those other platforms because YouTube is pretty strict um, with the things that we can and can't say on their platform. They are supposed to be the digital public square, but there's only room for one set of ideas there. Indeed, which they call disinformation if you right. have a contrary set of ideas, Sheila. Until even though CNN it, says it, and then it's fine. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, even if it's factual, but what do the facts have to matter? And speaking of disinformation, I see one of our top stories today. Justin Trudeau says he has a plan to fight Russia's disinformation. Uh, and part of that plan is it to fight um, liberal disinformation. And does this fight on Russia disinformation? I assume this is more than just getting RT bumped off the airwaves. Well, I wonder what this means, specifically Russian disinformation, because we've got a real problem with CBC disinformation. They've had to retract two uh, stories about the convoy, um, claiming that it was Russian backed apropos of literally nothing except for the host's fevered dreams about Russians under every bed. But on the flip side, as an Albertan who cares deeply about the oil patch, I welcome this new crackdown on environmental madness because that's a real Russian disinformation around here. Russia has been funding the anti 
oil sands, anti-pipeline, anti-fracking movement for the better part of a decade. They've been dumping money into a offshore holding company, which then dumps money into San Francisco, into the big environmental charities there. And that just sends it out into the world. It's been greenwashed and it ends up in places like Canada blocking our pipelines because that secures Russia's stranglehold on Europe through Gazprom because they, as North Americans, we can't develop um, liquefied natural gas and get it offshore. Um, So if they are going to crack down on that nonsense, I'm not pro-censorship, but I'd like to see them sort this one out. Indeed. And if, you know, Justin Trudeau really wanted to do something tangible about the war in Ukraine, Sheila, how about this? Get rid of the carbon taxes and green light all the pipeline developments these liberals have crushed. (laughs) It is this enormous price of oil that is indirectly or directly, I should say, funding uh, Putin's war machine and uh, the dependence of so many European nations on Russian oil that we could give an alternative to. But we can't. Uh, And the same goes for sleepy Joe Biden in the United States. They're two faces of the same coin. Yeah, they are the real uh, oligarch enablers, really. The environmentalist movement and the politicians beholden to them. They're the ones lining the pockets of the oligarchs by not allowing North Americans to develop their energy resources. I do think it's interesting, though, because Justin Trudeau is pursuing this whole nonsense about... um, Russian dis Russian disinformation. But what does that mean? Does that mean actual Russian disinformation? Do they have to have proof that it is Russian? Or can you just go by what the lunatics on CBC say? Because they were the ones that were saying, oh, the convoy is uh, Russian backed. No proof whatsoever. They just said it was Russian backed. They were the ones that also said that the convoy was foreign funded. And that wasn't the case. Uh, testimony at the Finance Committee, or I think it was actually the Public Safety Committee, um, from GoFundMe and Give, Send, Go, both said that the overwhelming majority of the donors to both convoy crowdfunding campaigns, they were Canadian. And mm-hmm. yet um, that scare, the the Russian scare, was enough to, I guess, enable the government to do the thing that they wanted to do, and that was to cut off the funding to the convoy and seize bank accounts based on just nonsense cooked up at the CBC. It, it is incredible. And, and I, again, we have to look south of the border, too, to get another measure of insanity, Sheila, I think. And that is, can you imagine the nuclear arms deal with um, uh, Iran is being negotiated with an intermediary, which is Russia? You know, Russia is doing the talking for the United States because the Iranian officials won't meet face to face. So you have to basically go into a hotel room and pass notes through Russia. And um, I think the world right now, uh, Sheila, and I don't think this is disinformation, it is setting up for a real unholy uh, axis of enemies, which would be Russia Iran, China, and perhaps even North Korea into the mix. And the United States of America under the Biden administration thinks it's a good idea for Russia um, to negotiate a nuclear deal with Iran. This is insanity. Well, and 
are we just pretending like Russia or sorry, uh, Iranian missiles didn't strike in the vicinity of the U.S. consulate in Erbil, Iraq, where I was? So they're negotiating an energy deal with an adversarial foreign power that sent missiles, well, they say striking in the vicinity of the U.S. consulate in Erbil, northern Iraq, which I could see at one point from my hotel room when I was there a few years ago, documenting the return of the Christians um, after their genocide there. Um, So the Americans are still negotiating an energy deal with Iran and have taken Keystone XL completely off the table. And I'm pretty sure that Calgary hasn't bombed anybody lately. Yeah. It's astonishing. And as I understand, under the terms of this deal, Iran is also working on intercontinental ballistic missiles. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Fun. That's not going to scare the daylights out of Israel. You know what's going to happen? Israel's going to have to um, assassinate a few more Iranian scientists because we know where this is going. A hundred percent. But what I'm getting at, Sheila, is that with Israel being in the neighborhood, you don't need an intercontinental ballistic missile. No. So where would, where, oh, where do you think those missiles would be pointed at, Sleepy Joe Biden? You know, it, the world is upside down. And I'm not so much worried about disinformation, Sheila, as I'm worried about the media refusing, most of the mainstream media, that is, to report this reality that we see going on. I think a lot of people are completely unaware of what's happening. Yeah, I was reading um, uh, uh, something written by Justin Trudeau's brother, Kyle Kemper, because I'm prepping for an interview with him. So we are going to have to cut the show today, like right at the, the bottom of the hour, because I have to get off here and then interview uh, Kyle Kemper. And he pointed out that as as early as 2019, like we think that it's bad now, but as early as 2019, 25% of the journalists in this entire country, and this is before the subsidies, before the bailouts, their salaries were paid directly by the federal government. Oh, and by the way, um, one it's of those journalists, <laughs> well, there's one fewer journalists getting his money from the federal government. Uh, we'll get to it in a bit. But Alexa Lavoie, our wonderful Quebec City uh, correspondent, <laughs> Sheila, that that video she had on that city news reporter, it is unbelievable. And, you know, folks, you got to check out that video. You got to see where the agenda of so many of these mainstream media people are. His problem is he played his cards openly. Uh, he yeah. show, he took down, you know, the kabuki curtain and showed you who he really was and who he really, um, how he really believes. And um, even to the point, Sheila, which I found despicable, uh, mocking uh, the physical aspects of a woman who was involved with the, the Freedom Convoy. Yeah, and he's w- no Mr. Universe himself, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, glass houses, buddy. (laughs) Do they, uh, with Mister Universe, do they care about what the guy's face looks like, uh, Sheila, or is it just muscles? It's just muscles, and I don't even think they care if they're juiced straight up. I really don't. Do you like that look, by the way? The muscles on the muscles, the triceps on the biceps. Like a healthy man, but I don't like a guy who spends like all day in the gym. I'm not sure. I, I like muscles that actually do things. Oh, you know, okay. You know that like serve a purpose. Um, like can you 
change a tractor tire, stuff like that. <laughs> I'm not sure if a guy who spends all day in the gym has the skill set to even change a tractor tire, let alone the muscle groups. You know well, what I mean? It's just different. I knew one guy uh, many years ago that was into that and had an extraordinary physique in terms of uh, muscles. And the the annoying thing, Sheila, is that he could not walk past any reflecting surface oh, without God. stopping and posing. <laughs> is that where he loses you, Sheila? <laughs> Big time. Big time. Just, anyway. Like I said, I like a healthy man. Did my chair just let itself down? Speaking of... <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, it's, been a, it's been a bountiful harvest, I guess. Uh, we... I, yes, I'm, I'm too heavy for my chair. <laughs> now, we have super producer Efren in the, in the room, and he wants his on the on the 15s and we're already two minutes over to get to ah. super chats do we do we have any in as of yet let me take a peekaboo okay. no all right Wait. tell efron to settle down either they're not provided <laughs> or they have been posted so um well you know what um so many things to get to um why don't we well here's a video and this is sort of newsy given it happened on sunday morning uh patrick brown uh, he's passing himself off as a winner, and he. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Sheila. I can't, I can't laugh when I oh, when I, I read. I spent this, all right? day yesterday reading documents about Patrick Brown, so um, my brain is like fully refreshed um, with Patrick Brown's recent and I guess not so recent history. But by the way, speaking of Patrick Brown. Um, and journalists uh, letting the mask slip, our Lincoln J. And I, I don't want to talk too much about it because um, it does feel like we're punching down because we're up here and this guy is like way down here. Um, one of the journalists at the Patrick Brown event that our Lincoln J was covering, he got right off the rev limiter with Lincoln. Lincoln was just trying to work, uh, do his, you know, his little stand-up clothes on the media riser. And this guy came over and just completely interrupted the work that he was trying to do and acted like a lunatic, tried to ban us. I mean, it's so ridiculous. He tried to ban us from Brampton. Again, yeah. that's that's how you get more of us. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be in Brampton so much now, you're going to be sick of us. But, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because we're punching down. But um, but he deserves it, Sheila. He started it. Media you know. Of course he did. Yeah. But I mean, this is just more of the media letting the masks slip. They're not even pretending anymore. And right. this, that's two of them in just a couple of days. So shall we throw to the video featuring Patrick Brown, the lying liar, the crying crybaby, the shameless skirt chaser? What's that, Efren? One chat. Oh, we got okay. one chat. <laughs> Do we got it? Let me just check. Let me refresh Slack. Um, no, I don't have it yet, Efron. Come on. It kind of makes us look desperate, doesn't it, Sheila? We have one chat. A little, I cannot. am. <laughs> <laughs> Send us more chat. Um, maybe, uh, maybe we could just uh, do Patrick Brown's uh, video and and um. Good and idea. Let's throw that video that and fantastic. Are you guys ready for that? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, long show today is already. <laughs> Sorry, folks, well, it must be that that uh, snowstorm. Okay. I'll, I'll talk about um, what I was doing yesterday as I was going through um, 
documents relating to Patrick Brown. And um, I ended up watching a lot of David Menzies' greatest hits from Uh-oh. the pandemic because of it. <laughs> um, as you may or may not know, Patrick Brown is currently trying to rewrite his history to become the, and I, I don't know why my voice always gets ridiculous when I say it, but Canada's first anti-lockdown mayor. That's what he says he was. And I was I, what? That's what he's, basically like he was an early adopter of letting municipalities be more free. Oh, um, for himself and his berry buddies who like to play ice hockey. Yeah. Bingo. You didn't read the when fine you, print, Sheila. <laughs> when you're not living by your own restrictions, I guess yeah. every day you're as free as a bird. But um, he was the guy who brutally imposed a lockdown on Brampton's children. He <laughs> chained up the parks, uh, stationed expensive security around the parks. And after he announced, I remembered, oh, my goodness, I have an access to information document, 400 and some on pages that I've been dreading reading because it's very Patrick Brown heavy and I don't like to go back to it. But... It was about his, the city of Brampton, all their communications with the private security firm hired by Patrick Brown to brutally enforce the lockdown on Bramptonians, I think is how I would say it, um, including, you know, enforcing the lockdown at the cemetery, at the parks, at the soccer field where somehow they wanted, they're like, oh, we should send the um, security guards to the soccer center because teenagers might be down there smoking dope between 8.30 in the morning and 1.30 in the afternoon. I'm like, have you ever met a wayward teenager? They're usually not even up before then, but okay, whatever. Uh, and the, the inflated pandemic rates that they were willing to pay Paladin security to brutally enforce Patrick Brown's lockdown. And so it's a bit ridiculous to hear him say that he was the anti-lockdown mayor he was the worst, including sending people to make sure that people were social distancing when they were taking pictures of the trees in bloom, much oh, like uh, Toronto. Uh, and, it, and isn't Brampton's slogan, the flower city, the garden city, something like that. But, you know, she you're like, not getting close enough to sniff any flowers. <laughs> yeah, the Paladin yeah. was making sure. Yeah, that. You, you better have a nose the size of an elephant, OK, to maintain yeah. that social distancing. But here was the really insidious thing. People will say, well, you know, uh, Sheila, uh, Paladin security guards, they don't have the power to write uh, bylaw infraction tickets, which is true. But this was the scheme, folks. They didn't have enough bylaw, and obviously police officers have better things to do uh, when it comes to enforcing the law in Brampton, you know, kind of like gangbanger gun crime, that sort of thing. So um, the Paladin security guards would be stationed at, you know, children's playgrounds, baseball diamonds, soccer fields, what have you. And they were cemeteries (laughs) and they were paid professional snitches. So when they saw somebody um, doing something that they weren't supposed to, they could give a verbal warning uh, when they were uh, flipped the do rigueur bird. What they then did is got on their walkie talkie or cell phone and talked to bylaw or law enforcement. Uh, we got a soccer field infraction here down near Ernscliff. And sure enough, they'd like Batman and Robin rushing to the latest uh, crime scene of the Joker. Uh, you'd have the bylaw officers come and give out the real harsh penalties. This is incredible, Sheila. And, and I remember 
a week would go by, it would it'd be like over a hundred of these bylaw infractions would be written up. A hundred and twelve thousand dollars worth of tickets were issued in just six days six from Mister. Anti-lockdown mayor. Oh, um, my yeah. gosh. Uh, by the way, Paladin better damn well have been rushing to the scene of the <laughs> lockdown crime because they were raking in about 65 bucks an hour per security guard to the tune of uh, $12 million um, for that first year alone. That was the amount of their contract for increased COVID security. Um, again, that's in exclusive documents. We'll publish them all. Maybe some other journalists will get curious and, and read through them. Maybe one of the um, other campaigns might read through them because there's some pretty heavy-handed enforcement at the hands of Mayor Patrick Brown in Brampton. Yeah, and you know what? <clears throat> I'll give a shout out to some independent media out there that covers Brampton and Mississauga. It's called The Pointer. It's online. And they being like a dog on a bone with all the shenanigans that is occurring in Brampton. I would hasten to say, Sheila, Brampton might just be the most corrupt municipality in our great dominion. It is unbelievable the number of uh, sneaky insider stuff that happens in that city and has been happening since uh, 2018 when Mayor Brown uh, somehow got elected. But, you know, um, it would all be so funny except for the fact that I find this individual dangerous, Sheila, for somehow like the Pied Piper of Hamlin, he plays his flute and he gets these massive groups, you know, to come follow him, uh, which was evident in the Sunday announcement in which he was saying he was running for the uh, Conservative Party. I don't see him winning, but I see him maybe becoming a kingmaker for... A kamikaze candidate, as they say out exactly. here in because I see him, uh, you know, uh, Jean Charest, uh, he loves Jean Charest. There's a photo of a young Patrick Brown where the, the poster in his, his bedroom is Jean Charest. <laughs> yeah, not the Fonz from Happy Days or uh, Farrah Fawcett Majors in that iconic red swimsuit, but Jean Charest. That's what I want on my wall when I'm a teenager. But, but the thing is, Sheila, is Jean Charest would be every bit as much of a disaster leading the Conservative Party. And, um, and of course, the quid pro quo is uh, Patrick thinks he's done his time in the penalty box being mayor of uh, Brampton. That's too, um, you know, Bush League for him. He wants to be uh, a federal MP again, and that would be the quid pro quo with uh, Sheree finding him a writing somewhere. It doesn't matter. That That's... You know, when it comes to Patrick Brown, folks, it's all about the power. It's not about yeah. public service. It's not about doing good things. It's about having a title. And, uh, I mean, that's why, I mean, he has absolutely nothing to do with Brampton. In fact, when he was running for election, Sheila, many times he referred to Brampton as Barry, where he was an MP. <laughs> so what does that tell you? But um, this is what I find disturbing, the fact that these two cretins might somehow uh, really skew uh, the Conservative Party leadership uh, nomination? Well, hopefully Albertans stand in their way. I can't imagine Westerners voting for Patrick Brown or Jean Charest, mm. the two uh, pro-carbon tax candidates. Oh. For uh, Patrick Brown left the Ontario PC party in complete disarray and turmoil because of his embrace of the carbon tax. And 
he hasn't said that he has renounced the carbon tax. All he said is now is not the right time to raise it. Okay, Patrick, <laughs> when is the right time to make the cost of living more expensive for all Canadians? Tell me when the right time is. If now is not the right time, when is it? Because I think there's no good time for that. You see, this is exactly why Patrick Brown is a weasel. Instead of using these weaselly words, how about coming out strongly against the carbon tax and saying... Because he's not. Yeah, he's not it, against it. So at least he's halfway honest here. It, well, Sheila, you're 100% right. After he threw the social conservatives under the bus as the Ontario PC leader, he then threw the fiscal conservatives under the bus. His very first policy announcement after becoming leader was a made-in-Ontario carbon tax. He announced that at the Canadian Club, I believe it was, in Toronto, the room fell silent, and finally somebody <laughs> in the back went, no, right? And the die was cast that we got to get rid of this guy. Um, forget about the uh, rumors of uh, sexual impropriety. Uh, it was really these policy flip-flops, huge policy flip-flops, carbon tax, sex ed, uh, that you know paved the way to do that incredible palace coup I think it was January 25th, 2018. I was riveted. And then that Cersei-like walk of shame down the back of the Queen's Park steps to that salt-covered salt minivan. minivan. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, what an inglorious ending to such a power-mad megalomaniac. But um, yeah, and I'll just check with our folks to see, do we have any Patrick Brown videos? Because they never get tired. Right here. Let's let's roll that one. We must be the party that cultural communities can trust. As a leader, I will restore the faith that was broken by two policies that should never have seen the light of day, the barbaric cultural practices tip line and the niqab ban. Other leadership candidates are taking advice from the same senior advisors who decided to launch those policies in the 2015 Conservative federal election campaign. Advisors who never admitted the harm those policies did both to Canada and to our party. And to this day, continue to defend their decisions and back those policies. Advisors who have never admitted their mistake. Those policies in the 2015 campaign gave us Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. They attempted to normalize intolerance and served only to stifle Canadians' right to religious freedom. I will never back down from defending religious freedom. A winning Conservative Party led by me will passionately fight for our core Conservative value of protecting religious freedom. We will proudly lean into it. We will win and we will end the Liberal Party practice of tokenizing diverse Canadians. The Conservative Party will win while proudly, proudly standing against Bill 21. Fighter, leader, winner. First of all, Sheila, when he says I would never back down uh, when it comes to fighting for religious freedoms. Did you notice his announcement speech took place on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. when yeah, presumably yeah. most <laughs> Christians are in church, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, what does that tell you? Uh, secondly, what is wrong with a barbaric cultural um, 
you know, hotline. Is Patrick Brown okay with barbarism occurring? And when I say barbarism, I'm talking about things that don't get a lot of attention because it's not all that politically correct. Uh, FGM, uh, female genital mutilation, uh, Sheila, which in some circles in the left has been rebranded as female genital beautification, FGB. Um, you would want girls and young women to undergo that uh, in an underground way, Patrick Brown. You wouldn't want somebody to come forward and blow the whistle on that. Um, this guy is despicable, Sheila. Um, this guy is a real piece of work because he's sitting there saying that he's against tip lines. Um, as he was talking about that, I was like, <laughs> COVID noncompliance tip line Brampton. <laughs> what did I find? Reporting so non-compliance. Right. Oh. You know, this guy's against tip lines. Oh, the hell he is. He just doesn't like um, one that protects women and girls from cultural and religious-based violence. Yeah. He is perfectly fine with the tip line. He set one up where you can report um, non-compliant food establishments, personal service settings, uh, or recreational water facilities. What does that even mean? You're reporting the lake now for COVID non-compliance? Like what, what is happening there? Um, you can call uh, the Peel Public Health line and report restaurants, bars, uh, mobile food trucks, grocery stores, convenience stores, discount and big box retailers, tattoo studios, piercing wow. shops, aesthetic salons, nail salons, hairdressing and barbershops, public schools, public pools, spas, beaches, splash pads, and wading pools. Now, uh, those are outside. So how are those non-compliant? I guess they have different crazy rules in uh, Brampton. But um, there's several uh, tip lines that they have set up in the Peel region, including directly in Brampton, um, where you can report non-compliance for COVID. So he is definitely not against tip lines. He set up one of his own. He just is playing. Here you go. He's just unbelievable. Um, he's just uh, playing to certain communities, which I mean is the bigotry of low expectations. Actually, so, yeah. Because I don't think that normal Muslims are, are fine with cultural uh, and gender-based violence. I really don't. Um, but you know, uh, Patrick Brown is conflating. Um, people who participate in cultural-based violence and gender-based violence with your everyday Muslim friends and neighbors. And that's ridiculous. We know the difference. He should, too. I'm with you, Sheila, but talk about kowtowing to his base. Uh, let's not kid the kidders here. Do you think that the vast majority of Canadians go to bed at night fretting about religious freedom in this country? No. It's all about right now, as far as I can tell, the economy, going to the gas station and seeing $2 a liter. But I'm from Alberta, <laughs> yeah, where, where yeah. we lock up more pastors than that, China. So. That's right. I, I exclude Alberta from that, you know. Uh, but what I'm saying, Sheila, is that right now, uh, where Canadians are getting brutalized, it's by going to the gas station, uh, going to the supermarket, seeing their utility bills come in. That is what we need policies to address, to lower the cost of living, which is going out of control uh, in this country. And there are certain markets, too. Vancouver, the greater Toronto area, if you are young and you aspire to home ownership, 
Uh, good luck. Uh, you might want to inquire to see if they have a 75-year mortgage, because that might be how long you have to pay off an average bungalow in the city of Toronto. So, Sheila, I, I, I think this was a real fumble on his part. And by the way, that was a packed venue. Did you notice how muted the applause was? It wasn't, you know, a standing ovation or anything like that. I remember years ago when I went to see um, Maxime Bernier uh, speak to uh, his supporters uh, out in the airport area. And I'll tell you, Sheila, when he said that one of his policy planks was to defund the CBC, I thought the roof was going to cave in. I, I, I've never heard such. And by the way, and that's another thing that is connected to Canadians and the cost of living. Why should we have to pay some $1.5 billion a year for something virtually nobody is watching anymore. So yeah, that's more green in your genes too by defunding this uh, network, not abolishing it, just like any other private sector firm. Sink or swim, go sell some ads. I know, what a concept, right? But get off your ricotta cheese candy ass and actually work uh, for your money instead of getting corporate welfare. Uh Remind me to talk to you about Scott Hall. He uh, passed away. Um, oh, no. Razor Ramon? He, heart, he did. He had a heart attack. Oh, no. I know. I know. One. I know. I'm sorry to put a damper on the show, but just as you were uh, doing your little wrestling spiel, um, it just reminded me to mention Scott Hall to you. And sorry to do that to you on air because I know you are a Razor Ramon fan. I, oh, 100%. One of the just at 63, way too young. One of the best lines ever by Razor Ramon. Funny how a guy called Razor Ramon, <laughs> Latino. That's Razor Ramon us. walking into heaven. <laughs> I know. <like> that. <laughs> but that time when he would hand his belt to uh, somebody, a ring attendant, and he would always say this, Sheila, hey, Chico, something happened to the gold. Something going to happen to you, Chico. <laughs> Throw his yeah. toothpick at him. <laughs> Oh, that is bad news. He was a great entertainer, had a myriad of problems, of course, um, mm. which became part of the act at one point. Um, you know, lean blur in. just lean in. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what? Um, before, you know, not to get off on a tangerine here, but, you know, this is the sad thing about professional wrestling. And uh, it's when so many athletes in a peak physical condition, I might add, uh, you get into typically their 50s or early 60s, like Razor Ramon, and they just die in their sleep. Their body their just shuts down. It's their so hearts. sad. Professional wrestlers and uh, cyclists. Bodybuilders. Bodybuilders, too. Bodybuilders are up I there, say, too. You know, these, these vain men, these professional bodybuilders, I appreciate their commitment and their hard work. But those muscles and the stuff you take to get those muscles... They're going to kill you. Just be able to change your tractor tire. Have those kind of muscles. I like those kind of muscles. That's why I've never been a bodybuilder or a wrestler or a professional cyclist. Um, ah, for your I've, health. <laughs> yeah, I'm too young to die. <laughs> uh, now, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just avoiding physical labor for your health. Um, one more thing before we move on from Patrick Brown. I, I think we've spent far too long on him. As it is, um, I don't have anything personal against Patrick Brown. I don't like his policies, and I think he's sneaky and a liar, um, as evidenced in his behavior. But uh, also on this uh, report of COVID scofflaw tip line, if you go down to the bottom, you can report price gouging. 
And so I'd like to report Patrick Brown for his attempted price gouging with the carbon tax. So oh. there's a number there that you can call and report. So what uh, is I guess the... he's concerned about the cost of living, um, but he's perfectly fine with the carbon tax. What is the definition, Sheila, of price gouging? You know, when the government gets into things. I don't want things... the government getting involved, right? Well, you know, when Pierre Trudeau in the mid-70s uh, started to think that he could regulate the economy, I don't know if you remember wage and price controls, six and five. So uh, goods could only go up a maximum of 6% uh, and salaries could only go up a maximum of 5%. Oh, what a shocker. It was a disaster. Turns out Ottawa can't regulate how the free market economy works. So when I see, uh, you know, a price gouging uh, thing, I, I, I want to know what the devil in the details is, because um, like you said, uh, maybe Patrick Brown, uh, for all the money he spent on security guards, uh, there's a gouger when it comes to your taxes. He's not paying that out of his pocket. He's not going to his best friend, Waleed Solomon, and getting money to pay for that. You, Mr. and Mrs. Bramptonian or Peel Regioner, you're paying that. Yeah, I'd like to report the government for price gouging with all the taxes they slap onto a liter of fuel. Um, we should get to some of these um, chats. Yes. And again, I want to reiterate, I can't stay late today because I have a member of the Trudeau family to interview. Um, I can't wait. I know. And you know what? I was like, how do I approach this interview? Uh, because uh, I certainly don't. He's. Kyle's his own man. I don't want to define him by his outlandish brother any more than I want to be defined by my brother or my sister, right? Uh, he's an accomplished guy on his own. So uh, I think I'll just lead with my chin, get that out of the way. It's, hey, it's pretty interesting that you're, you know, this kind of freedom-minded guy in a family of authoritarian grifters. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've really got to button my mouth up on this interview because I'm sure he loves his brother, um, but just disagrees with him. So anyways, stay tuned. That's on the gun show this week, by the way. So if you are a subscriber to Rebel News Plus, uh, you'll get to see that in full and you'll get to see me struggling to keep my opinions to myself while <laughs> interviewing my guests. Um, and it's also available as a podcast for free on all the podcast platforms. And if you are listening to us on the podcast version, uh, do leave us a five-star review. It puts us higher up in the algorithm than CBC mm. podcasts. And I, I kind of like that. So do that for me if you wouldn't mind. Um, we should get some of these chats. And then um, your favorite guy, Jerry Diaz, is pulling the shoot before he gets, um, well, in the middle of an investigation. So I think we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I hear whiffs that? of some financial impropriety uh, going on at Unifor, the biggest uh, private sector union. You know what? Uh, uh, good riddance, I say to Jerry Diaz, whatever the reason is. Uh, this is a guy who whose union uh, composes every federal election anti-conservative attack. Uh, ads, which is outrageous yeah. because the what resistance, are, the resistance, the resistance. What if you're a uniform member who votes conservative and supports conservatives? This is the same guy that back in October in Toronto at Unifor's head office, we went out to cover a protest by uniform members, primarily auto workers, Sheila, as you know, uh, who were losing their jobs if they didn't get the jab. Not only did Mr. Diaz not come out to meet the rank and file, he sent all the employees home as though there was going to be an 
active shooting event. He was nowhere <laughs> to be seen. And then he called the cops on his own members doing a peaceful protest. So, Jerry Diaz, don't let the back door uh, hit you on your backside on the way out. You were disgraceful. But only thing is, Sheila, given uniform being uniform, uh, I wonder who the replacement is. I wonder if it's going to be somebody that uh, makes you pine for the devil you knew. Yeah, Jerry Diaz and the resistance. Again, I shouldn't say anything because my chair did give out today. Um, <laughs> but the only resistance I saw in that infamous photo was in their waistbands. They were a pretty surly looking grumbly bunch. Um, but yeah, Jerry Diaz is on his way out. <laughs> and again, I want to reiterate, I shouldn't be casting stones. My chair gave out on air, um, but he did, he is quitting, at least according to Blacklocks, amid a financial probe. Yeah. Jerry uh, and uh, Unifor's National Executive Board will meet March 21st to discuss the matter. I wonder where they'll meet. I, maybe we should be there. Um, oh. Kathleen O'Keefe, spokesperson for the union, said in a statement, the union will have no further public comment. That's They're pretty tight-lipped, and those people don't like to shut up yeah. prior to the receipt of the <laughs> investigative report. Unifor had, look at this, nearly a third of a billion dollars in assets belonging to 315,000 members. Its accounts were cleared by auditors as recently as last June 17th. Well, this is odd. The union on February 23rd had no specific comment on Blacklock's inquiries regarding unproven allegations against Diaz. And we want to reiterate, these are unproven. Yep. Um, but it goes on to say that President Diaz on January 29th, so why are we really just hearing about this now, was told he was under investigation, according to Unifor, on February 6th. Diaz, oh yeah, of course he did. He took advantage of every union benefit he could. He was <laughs> on paid medical leave. Of course he did. Um, Jerry did not make the decision to take this leave easily. We hope you respect his privacy. We're wishing him well. While on leave, Jerry will not be carrying out the responsibilities of the office of president. Um, it's funny how these health issues just rear up anytime you get in trouble. Um, and Sheila, I love that line. Uh, maybe you were going to get to it, but we can't uh, ignore it. Thank you for long years of service That's to Canadian exactly. workers, Jerry Diaz, said From, the dumbest MP alive. Thank you. Seamus O'Regan, yes. Minister of Labor. The MP to burgle the oxygen in the House of Commons, Seamus O'Regan. He couldn't even keep his mouth shut while the guy's under investigation. Does he have a – does Seamus O'Regan have a communications person or does his communications person – hate him because I can't believe that someone allowed him to make the statement before the investigation is concluded into Jerry Diaz. You're right. But that's what makes him so dumb. But, you know, He's at dumb. least at least you're <laughs> getting I mean, listen, when he was given the labor ministry, uh, Seamus have, uh, allegedly said, what do I know about women giving childbirth? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, is at least talk about truth in advertising uh, by Seamus, at least talk about transparency because, uh, and don't take my word for it, folks, Google those uniform anti-conservative ads. Of course, if you're a liberal member of government, you're going to thank the guy, oh, the yeah. architect of that despicable propaganda. Although, I got to admit, when it was the anti-Aaron O'Toole ad, <laughs> you really can't argue that much, can you? Oh, with the car falling apart? The truck apart. falling apart. <laughs> 
the 2021 O'Toole, (laughs) which looks exactly what you'd think you'd get on that shady used car lot, folks. (laughs) The resistance. No. Like I said, the only resistance you can (laughs) go to. I found this to be a very pretentious uh, ad. I thought it was very uppity. Sorry, we can't all afford to drive Jerry Diaz uh, fancy probably made in Japan car, even though he's an American or he's an auto worker rep, you know, it's great. A great point. I wonder, uh, what he does, uh, drive. I, I think his family made has... in Germany. I feel like Germany, <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I don't think he would be that flagrant. I bet he drives a GM vehicle. Cause I know his family has had connections with the, um, yeah. The GM, uh, you know, Oshawa plant where they used to build a lot of cars and trucks. But, oh, well, you know, things like um, green energy plans by the province making Ontario one of the cheapest jurisdictions in North America to one of the most expensive. Uh, that'll chase the auto production uh, down to Michigan and Kentucky and Mississippi and what have you. So way to go, Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGinty and, of course, Justin Trudeau. Canada's Rust Belt. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's sad, Sheila. Sad. It is. I remember, you know, I was doing some automotive writing at the time. And when the first generation uh, new Camaro came out, I think around 2012, they were building 440 Camaros per day. Three eight-hour shifts. They couldn't keep up with demand. Imagine that, 440 Camaros rolling off the Oshawa assembly plant. When it went to the second generation uh, Camaro, the production was shifted to Michigan. And this has so much to do with all the so-called green energy uh, programs, Sheila, yeah. that uh, because the auto workers in Oshawa, they're great. You know, ca- Canadian auto workers are great auto workers. Uh, but when the company gets the bill for the hydro, uh, that's when you have that come to Jesus moment. And despite the production and the quality, uh, we got to go elsewhere because we can't afford to build, uh, to, to, to build these things here. I can't remember, but I rem- I don't know where I saw it, and I'll have to dig it up maybe for um, Thursday's show. Just the sheer number, the cost of benefits yeah. for an auto worker over and above their salary. It's like over $100 an hour, and that's all factored into the cost of your vehicle. And you're looking at this thinking, a robot does a lot of this stuff these days. What is this for? Uh, no, uh, Jerry Diaz, I guess <laughs> this is for Jerry Diaz. <laughs> indeed. So, well, let's keep an eye on that. And, uh, you said March 21st is when they're meeting. Yes. March 21st. I wonder if they're going to get protested by their own members. That'll be fun. I wonder if they'll still be wearing masks that day. Cause that's the day the mask mandate, uh, comes off, uh, Sheila, right at midnight. So, uh, I wonder, will they still be virtue signaling by putting on the face diapers in Alberta? That's how we know you're an NDP voter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Twitter described it as an, uh, an NDP lawn sign for your face. Oh, listen, it's just like a Sikh who wears a turban. He's saying, I'm in, I'm part of the Sikh faith. A, a yeah. Muslim woman wearing a hijab, a, a person wearing a cross. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Um, it, you're advertising what you believe in. And when it comes to the face diapers, what you're saying is, I'm pro big government. 
I'm pro lockdown. I'm pro being told what to do. So um, in the days ahead, uh, and, and you're absolutely right, Sheila, I, in a way, we should be grateful. Thank you for wearing your colors. I no longer have to mind read or have a conversation with you to find yeah. out where you deal with, stand on the political ideological spectrum. I just have to look at what's covering your face. Yeah, your mask and your a woman's place is in her union reusable grocery bag. Is everything <laughs> I need to know. Um, let's uh, let's get through some of these chats because again, I can't. I I stress I cannot go late. Yes. Uh, we've got one from Kane Enmark says I'm super excited. I'm going to the 2022 AGM in Red Deer in April. That's the UCP AGM. I'm voting Kenny out as leader. Uh, so he's got a leadership review. Um, and he's not polling very well. And in Alberta, if an election were held today, despite our robust economy, um, because while the rest of the world suffers because of the price of a barrel of oil, we do very well here because of that. Um, and I think we're in a budgetary surplus after, you know, six or seven years, seven years of just a catastrophic economy here in Alberta. Things have just completely done a 180 and it's just skyrocketing. But even still, even though that's what Jason Kenney was counting on, the return to freedom and the uh, robust economy that's uh, reviving itself because of a war in Europe, um, among other things, uh, Rachel Notley would win the election if it were held today. And that's bad, very bad. That is staggering. And that said, Sheila, I want to ask you, since you live in that province, to look into your crystal ball. What do you think is going to happen at that conference? Is it going to be the uh, a proverbial wrist slapping on uh, Premier Kenny, or are we going to see a uh, tectonic shift? Um, I think it is today, and I'm sorry that I don't know this a little better, but I think today is the by-election in Fort McMurray, Wood mm. Buffalo. And... Uh, Brian Jean, former leader of the Wild Rose, he ran for the leadership of the combined party, the UCP. He lost to Jason Kenney. Um, and so he just kind of went away for a little bit. And I don't blame him. I don't think he went away because he lost. I think he went away because it was the right time to regroup. He had lost his house in a fire. He had lost his mom. He had lost his son. He got married and had a new baby. All while he was running for the leadership of the wow. Wild Rose after uh, Daniel Smith destroyed it. Yep. So I think it was like 35 days in between uh, Daniel Smith destroys the party and the general election was happening in Alberta. And in that time, he announced that he's going to run. He loses his son. He doesn't take time off. He keeps campaigning through. He wins the leadership of the Wild Rose, uh, forms uh, official opposition in Alberta. And so he's just been given her since then. So I get why he took a step, step back. But he's running in by-election right now because the MLA there made the move to federal politics. So he thought, now's my time. He's running specifically against Jason Kenney. He said, elect me MLA and I will run against Jason Kenney. Wow. For leadership. And he beat <laughs> Jason Kenney's hand-picked candidate for the nomination there, just like smoked the hand-picked candidate. Wow. So that should tell you how disgruntled conservatives are with Jason Kenney. And it sounds like they want a mulligan on the leadership here. Wow. that You know, I, I think that bodes very darkly for what what is going to come up in the in the weeks ahead, Sheila. And, you know, the sad thing is, this is a self-inflicted wound uh, by yeah. Premier Kenny. You said earlier in the show, Sheila, 
the province of Alberta has rounded up and jailed more pastors than the nation of China. And yeah, this year, yep. <laughs> yep, they have. We've got one still in jail, Pastor Art Pulowski. Yesterday, or two, no, Sunday, sorry, Jason Kenney made an announcement about uh, the increased funding for uh, places of worship. And I'm for this. Usually I'm kind of against government spending, but this is in reaction to the 50 plus churches that were burned over last summer that everybody seems to have forgotten about. And nobody really cared about in the first place. So he, this is increased security grants for places of worship, which is great, but I hope they catch the maniacs who are locking up pastors and chaining off churches while we're at it. If we care so much about religious freedom. And I think a lot of the premier's own rhetoric about churches that he labeled scoff laws played into some of the vandalism against churches. Um, yeah. And when he was asked by Sid Fizard, a rebel news journalist, about Pastor Art, who is still languishing in jail for the crime of giving a speech at the Coots blockade to the truckers. He never engaged in any blockades at all. Um, and they arrested him under a law designed to attack pipeline bombers. Um, when asked about that, he basically accused Pastor Art of incitement to violence. Art goes <sighs> out of his way to say we can resist the government. It has to be peaceful, peaceful, civil disobedience, peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. The premier makes a statement saying, well, you just can't go around inciting people to violence, blah, 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 blah. This is the second time that he's actually made this statement about incitement to violence or violence happening at Coots. You know, and there's been none. It, my question is, does Jason Kenney really believe this or is this an ongoing policy he seems to have, Sheila, of bending the need to the leftists, the progressives, the Marxists, the NDP voters, et cetera. Because if I know Alberta like I think I know Alberta, and I lived there for two years of my life, um, if Jason Kenney uh, basically governed like DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and Alberta was like the state of Florida, we're not having this conversation anymore. Yeah, I think he doesn't know how to get off this. Like he can reopen, he can get rid of the vaccine passports, he can get rid of the mask, he can get rid of all the restrictions, which he has. But he cannot seem to undo this one thing. Yeah. And it comes directly from the government. It was not, many of Art's troubles stem from an Alberta Health Services secret court order. As in bureaucrats from Alberta Health Services went before a judge basically got a secret court order, and that was the thing that was used to control Pastor Art and his church. So Jason Kenney can't say, oh, there's a separation between um, the courts and the government, and we cannot direct the courts. This is their court order that caused many of Pastor Art's problems. So sad. Well, Sheila, we're up against a hard break at one. We have two minutes to go. Uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and you read the remaining chats. Yes, let's read the remaining chats and then I'm going to pull the shoot. Um, but don't worry because we'll go probably late on Thursday. So people will get their money's worth. Um, <laughs> by the way, this used to just be a one hour show <laughs> instead of like an hour and 15 or 20 or 25 minutes. Um, okay, so TAC178, this is my friend from Twitter. He says, uh, some American centavos for you to enjoy. Wow, that's like $8 Canadian. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yankee, for some reason, sends us a buck um, and says, uh, we have three chats. Thank you, Yankee. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yankee. Uh, Bill CF7 <laughs> gives us a buck. When is Rebel going to interview Pierre Polyev? We're doing our best. 
We promise you. We're, we've extended the inv invitation to all the campaigns. We want to talk to all of them. And nobody's going to get a softball interview from us at all. Um, for example, I want to know why Pierre Polyev didn't run last time. Mm -hmm. What happened there? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, Paul Otto Newman, five bucks. Wasn't Pierre Trudeau the only Western leader to attend Leonid Brezhnev's funeral? I don't know, but I know that uh, he broke the embargo and parted ways with our American friends with regard to Cuba. And uh, I don't know why people travel to Cuba to uh, bolster their is the uh, horrible, horrible government there. Yeah. Stand with the Americans and stand with Cubans in Florida. Go to Florida. Don't go to Cuba. And I think we're all cut up. I think we're done. I got to go. Fantastic. <laughs> Sheila, thank you so much. You can whip off the set anytime and do that interview. I'm sure everyone's looking forward to. Thank you to Olivia Nefren in the control room. Thank you to all of you folks that gave us some uh, do-re-mi. It's how we keep the lights on. Tomorrow, there'll be two other rebels uh, here um, for your added enjoyment on hump day. In the meantime, Sheila and I will be back on Thursday. And also in the meantime, folks, as always, stay sane. The incitement to violence claim I want to address directly. Jason Kenny, I have a question. I'm not being facetious or humorous. I, I really need to know. Are you a moron? Seriously, I have to know if I'm dealing with an intellectually handicapped individual. You realize that speech is published and available to the public for which you claim that he incited violence. One, two, Three. I'm going to go slow so that you can, you, you can catch this. Three times in that speech, Archer explicitly states, I am not talking about violence. I am talking about peaceful resolution. I am not talking about guns and swords. What kind of brainless individual could interpret that as incitement to violence? Quote from Jason Kenney. That individual has all the rights of any individual under the Canadian legal system. They are presumed guilty, sorry, excuse me, presumed innocent until proven guilty, of course, in our system of law. Is that a Freudian slip? They have a right to access to counsel. That individual or any other individual has all the same legal rights as anybody, end quote. So, actually, Kenny, that individual does not have the same rights as any individual. You arrested him and several other pastors in Alberta for keeping their church open, while you drank whiskey at Sky Palace with your buddies free of legal consequences. Liquor stores, marijuana shops, and Walmarts were allowed to operate, but church was deemed illegal and unessential by you. <laughs>